the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 164, recorded Friday, October 10th, 2014. Known Unknowns. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. And welcome to another edition of AV Week, your source for news and information in the pro AV industry. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Thanks for joining us for this show. All right, we're having some technical problems. Thanks for, uh, uh, thanks for joining us for this show. Today with me to talk about a number of interesting topics I have in no particular order. That is one Ryan Salazar. He is the editor-in-chief of BroadcastBeat.com. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Also joining us is our good friend, uh, Davy Nation, John Green from Advanced AV. John, good to see you again. Wonderful. Glad to be on board. <laughs> right. And, of course, Holly Head. She is with AV Broadcast Solutions. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. All right. It's been an interesting week in the news, and I wanted to choose some different topics. As Of course, as you can see, Mr. Tim Albright is not here today, and I get to have fun and play with the stories. The stories I send him that he won't always put on. So, <laughs> you know, hey. You did throw some way. down. You threw some challenges down. <laughs> yes, I did, and I like doing that. And the first one we're going to talk about is Apple TV gets one close step one step closer to becoming your smart home hub. This one's been floating around for a few days, but everyone fears Apple, and they fear that Apple is going to do this or that. John, reading the article. They think that smart TV, the Apple TV, is going to be their gateway. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm afraid to say yes, but I, I think I'm going to. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's the fear of the unknown that drives a lot of uh, decision making, and that's one. It, we've been watching. Um, you know, the the fear of an Apple TV of any sort coming for the past two years, and we think that they've been able to, as any organization, they've been able to sit back for two years and they could jam that thing full of technology and wipe out half of the things that we're doing with different boxes. So that's the fear that we look at it from an, from an AV side. But, you know, again, I think that this is where everything is dri being driven to anyway these days. You know, there will be one central hub. There might be some hidden boxes delivering different services. You know, I don't think there's going to be one ring that fits them all. So, Well, Holly, let me talk to you about this because Again, Apple has always been at the forefront of this. It's with the Nest, with the uh, a number of other smaller players coming into the market, thinking they can take some kind of part of the marketplace. Is it possible that that's really where we're going, even with, say, Crestron introducing Ping and a number of other companies doing similar? Absolutely. I mean, really, are, are we surprised? Uh, Apple, <laughs> Apple's been dominant in this market uh, since they since they really created it. I think uh, as an industry, we have to really be aware of the trend that's happening. And for me, this is the first time in my life that I am watching technology come from the home into the workplace. And as AV and broadcast professionals, I think we need to acknowledge it and continue to educate the industry on, on what's happening, what makes it good, what are some of the potential hazards, what are some of the security as well as uh, quality of service issues that they may have. But it, it's going to happen. It's an evolve or die. Yeah, we're seeing the same thing. I mean, on an integration side, most of our business is in a in unified communication, enterprise-level conversation. But the consumer's ability to do things is coming to the boardroom. It's requested. It's demanded by the people that are that are ex using it at home and expecting it at work. So what about the option that they're really heavily relying on the cloud in this? Now, again, if, <laughs> if you haven't read the article yet for people watching, the beta part of the Apple TV that was released... Probably somebody got away with releasing some information about it. But they're really relying heavily on the cloud, the long and oft-debated medium for our industry. Um, Ryan, I'm going to step you in here a little bit. Sure. You have experience in broadcast world, but the cloud as a medium for this, as a gateway. Uh, well, I mean, it's 
the the cloud is you know the cloud is 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 the hot thing and and it's it's funny there, there's a, there's a lot of cloud technologies that have been around a long time and and we just gave it a name finally I think, um, but the the broadcasters uh, are certainly getting nervous about this type of technology obviously because it's on demand and everything. Um, as far as, uh, as as far as the cloud goes, yeah, we have to find there, there has to be some sort of infrastructure. And, and and if you're just referring, are you just referring to Apple? Or are you referring to other manufacturers as well? Well, I think everybody just they're pushing for the cloud in all services. Right, right. I think um, you know, it, it's it's the word standardize is is, is difficult in in, in broadcast or, or or many industries. But um, you know, it would be great to have some sort of a technology where where all of the uh, all of these systems could use the same type of thing, um, yeah. But the cloud is going to be—it's going to be a difficult implementation. Uh, now, I'm going to go down a really ugly analogy. This is <laughs> something that's <laughs> so. You're the moderator. You get to pull back any time. Uh, literally, about you know, I, I was in Japan about 14 years ago, and one of the most remarkable things I ever experienced was. You know, they have Toto toilets, Toto, you know, Toto self-flushable toilets. The whole concept of, you know, what's changing now is, is that you're going into a space and there's a certain expectation of what's going to happen in that space. Some of it's going to happen automatically. Let's say if it was, you know, you had mentioned Nest or the Apple. I want to go home. I want my TV to turn on. I want sports to be on. I want to go to my coffee, I want it to be ready, and I want it to know that I want it at 8 o'clock in the morning. The cloud on top of that is just the avenue. Uh, you know, I think that everybody gets stumbling upon is, is that all these boxes have to be up someplace else. Uh, you know, it's, it, the, the cloud is, is superfluous, and we're trying to use a word to define something. You know, and so we throw things like cloud at it. Even in our systems, what we're finding is they still want boxes on-prem. They're okay. Um, so you know, walk into a space. I know what I have to do in that space. I know what I want to accomplish in that space. And everything in that space needs to be able to react to it and be able to do its job as well. Now, Holly, that brings up, John brings up something really interesting. Uh, I'm showing on screen right now another Gizmodo article related to the, the first one, which is what everyone's getting wrong about home automation. And what I find fascinating about this article was that, first of all, it's one of the first consumer-level mass automation for the home is here that really admits that the iPad-iPhone interface doesn't work. <laughs> Just like John said, I want it to react to me. Right. So... I I think this brings up several different points, uh, different different rabbit holes, if you will, that we could go down. Uh, all exciting, in my opinion. You know, first of all, the the user interface. Uh, I agree with one of the uh, comments, uh, op-ed, if you will, on on using iPad interface. Uh, I agree. I want things to just work. You know, I, I want them to be intuitive. Uh, I'll tell you, we just bought, uh, we just upgraded our TVs going uh, over the air broadcast. Yes, what's old is new again. And I said, well, we've got to have a smart interface, so should we go with Roku or should we go with Google Chrome? So, of course, since I was shopping, we got both. And I'll tell you what I like about the Roku is I've got a remote. I've got something I can hold. I don't have to go grab my iPhone, iPad, make sure the app is up, make sure I'm on. Uh, so I, I like it being a little bit more intuitive. Now, a second thing that we absolutely have to consider uh, is the cloud. On the cloud, it's there again. It's ubiquitous. It's going to happen. We've got to start working with it. Um, we're spoiled. I know I am. Boy, do I get mad when something doesn't work. When my when my DVR wants to reboot, boy, I am just hotter than snot. Even though I can stream it ten minutes later uh, from the internet. So so having to rely on the cloud for my home automation. Yeah, I see several potential boogers in there because. Um, I want my information to stay local. If my internet goes down or if I have a storm, I, I want it to still work. So, so I, I think I think there's some Holly, serious considerations there. Holly, do you think it's a generational thing? Hundred uh, percent. Okay. If I have the like same conversation, analog phone line back in the day, you know, you had your yeah. you had a big storm and the phone line kept running. <laughs> well, you guys see it from my own teenagers. I mean, you know, there, what would cause eruption for us is that it's not working, and I got to go figure out what box I've got to kick. They're willing <laughs> to wait a couple minutes for it to come back. 
Sure. Well, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I live in Florida, going to a, a birthday for my niece turned 18, and uh, uh, let's say we have an older population in Florida, and the conversation turned to uh, smart devices and all the information that Google's gathering about us. And the aunts and uncles and grandparents started talking about everything that they know about us and how exposed we are. And, and my niece just looks at me and she goes, Aunt Holly, I can't wait for the day that I just walk into Starbucks and my, and my coffee's right there. Right. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just walk back on out. Absolutely. The digital natives expect this. It, Ryan, you're in broadcast. Look at the quality of service that we're now accepting on broadcast television. You can shoot an iPod video or an iPhone video, and they're putting that up as breaking news. Oh, that's I'm amazing. Like, yeah. I know some 60-year-olds that would have a coronary. Yeah. So, so generationally, it, it is changing. John, let me bring this back to you, though, for a moment. Is this an entry level, though, for us? We've, we've said we feared the, the, the introduction of this. We say we fear that the mass market will come and it will lower the common denominator and make it everybody gets worse, nobody gets special. But I don't know if that's really the truth. Is this actually our gateway to saying, yeah, now you've realized this. Now come back to at least integrating with some of our professional customized stuff so that you get what you want, which is the sports comes on when I want it. I walk in the house and my drink is ready or whatever that may be. Well, you know, we're, 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 ta we're t technologists on a, on, a, on a Google Hangout talking about technology. <laughs> and, and, and we're throwing down our fears and concerns about something not working or, you know, the, the resolution is not what we have expected in our earlier days. As this stuff starts to work, and I go back to, unfortunately, my Toto toilet thing, you walk in, it does what it's supposed to do, you do what you're supposed to do, and everything's okay. There's no discussion. Unfortunately, go back to, you know, go back to Ryan's comment, there's a standard. You know, so there's a standard that everybody has to agree upon and allow a variation of those standards to occur. Um, so as this, as this stuff starts to happen, again, you know, like the, if you go into an iBeacon, if you go into a Starbucks, they'll have them hanging over those signs. You will walk by. They will know by the app that you put on your phone who you are. So it's only moments away. The part is, is what are you going to do when it starts to happen? What's your reaction to it? <laughs> And Ryan, let's let's. This is sort of off topic, but let's let's bring that in. Since we're talking about the cloud, we're talking about what we want, and a sort of revelation by the consumer market that just because I can do it, maybe I shouldn't. Is this also an opportunity for the broadcast side to say, "Hey, you've had your fun with that. Now here's some really quality medium. It may be streaming from Netflix and HBO, but come back to the quality medium." Or have we uh, lost it? Are you saying, as in the broadcasters having on demand? or cloud-based sure. services? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, kind of rewinding back a little bit, you know, the broadcasters are really nervous about, uh, you know, I talk to broadcasters every day, and a lot of them are, are extremely nervous about cloud-based services and on-demand because obviously they're afraid of broadcasters themselves going away. And I, I, I don't think they have anything to worry about. I just think it's, it's, it's another... It's another medium. So now there's, there's just more market saturation. But, but sure, I think... I think um, they could take advantage of it, and, and I, I think they will start to take advantage of it as, as soon as there's some sort of a, like we said, standardized type system. Because I think there needs to be, you know, you figure uh, in the production industry we had we had this huge issue, and we still have it, of, of standardized file formats and, and frame rates and everything. It's one hell of a big issue when it comes to studios and, and integrating, you know, sending footage from one studio to the next. In, in this in this uh, industry, it's 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 the same type of thing. We have to find some side of stand some type of standardization, and where all the manufacturers that provide these types of services or service providers uh, have something where we can we can cross integrate. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time getting, you know, on demand from your local channel seven into a certain system and and whatever. So. Holly, let me, let me put one more question to you. We'll finish up this story, though. Ryan mentioned standardization, standardization. Is that where we were really headed then? And granted, we all talk to each other. We all have sort of standard protocols. But it almost sounds to me like what we're really looking for now is multiple devices on the same standard. Well, yeah, we are headed for standardization. If, if you follow any of the technologies or, or, or business throughout the decades, uh, it'll go from, uh, from uh, new technology and then it peaks out and everybody starts copycatting it and then we start figuring out how to work together. Um, I did a paper at Infocom talking about basic a, a session was that 
AV today is where IT was 30 years ago, if you remember the forklift yep. upgrades with the yep. IBM and the DEC systems. So, so it's coming. Um, I think we'll see a standardization on the physical infrastructure layer. And, and kind of to Ryan's point uh, with, with the broadcasters, um, and it kind of dovetails into to, to the next article that I know we have on deck. Uh, it doesn't eliminate the need for experts. Um, if you think about it, 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 it actually raises the level of our specialists, okay? So we'll have a bunch of generalists out there putting in infrastructures, you know, whether it's my house or my boardroom. But when I really want to do uh, the, the international video calls, I'm going to bring in an expert. Uh, analogy I like to use is hospitals. Uh, we've got clinics all over the place. We've got hospitals. Uh, when you run into an emergency room, you, you kind of don't care who sees you. But once you've been diagnosed, oh, my leg is broken, I'd like to see an orthopedist. So uh, I see our industry evolving into specialists. Yeah. I would, I, I'd, I'd second that. I, th I think that when you get standardization, the mundane gets done it gets done quickly and properly. And then there's an area to improve on the experiences. So. I'm sure it's going to be good for the industry as a whole. I mean, it's, it's going to force everyone to, to get organized here, uh, finally, <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> to work together. It's an interesting comment to make that standardization doesn't create mundane but gives opportunities right. for better service. I like that. I haven't heard that really expressed in such a succinct way, and, and I like it. But to Holly's point, let's bring up the next story in our, in our fold is that Alamo is now providing services. Now, Alamo is sort of a rep firm. They sell a number of different brands, and now they're selling install services. And this is possibly crossing a line for some, a revelation and, uh, and, and, a, and a happy, happy dance for others. Um, John, let's start with you. This is a good thing? It is an, it is an absolute positive necessity. Um, whether we like it or not, um, Almo is actually a distributor, and they're one of four distributors. Almo caters to the pro AV market, but there are two others, uh, ScanSource and Cynix, which have been in the IT development that also offer labor services, and Herman's another one. So the need for the distributor to provide services used to be one way. The manufacturers would be, we need you to stock it, we need you to market, we need you to train on the product. But the pull-through wasn't, you know, was was held up a little bit. Um, AV integrators, to a large degree, have seasonal businesses, and to date, I've been in this business for 30 years, and I could tell you what certain months of the year I don't want to work because we have just too much work. So finding an outsource, a reliable, trained outsource labor force, is the way it's going. And 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 going even to something Holly said earlier, this happened in the IT market so many years ago that it's. It's a tired subject for them. This is new to us. It's a new. It's a bit of a challenge. It is a bit of a threat. And, but if we don't adopt to it, you won't be able to grow or support the client's needs. That's my opinion. And Holly, what do we say to the people though who are looking at this as, and I've heard it say online, a geek squad model? Is it really well, unfair? Yeah, I, I I don't have positive thoughts about Geek Squad, but um, <laughs> uh, but I would offer that part of the challenge to a Geek Squad type of, of, of technology is the lack of standards. And when I say standards, uh, I'm a big proponent of let's let's get our physical layer infrastructure. Let's start from the bottom of the OSI model and then work up from there and, and think about it in both home automation as well as in um, commercial AV and broadcast. Broadcast is the most standardized, I would say, from a physical layer infrastructure and moving up. So, so Geek Squad, those poor guys are destined to fail because everything's different. But um, you, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My first reaction to um, outsourced labor in the AV market was negative. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now all these big companies that have invested in workforces and have invested in internal training, um, they're really going to be mitigated down to anybody can compete with them. Uh, but, again, go back to my hospital analogy. Yeah. Um, does everybody need to have an entire staff of nurses and you know phys uh, pharmacists? Um, I, I agree with John. Uh, this is where it's going. We're going to be able to work smarter, work faster, and get a better quality of service. So I, I do see that as an evolution, and we'll be left with specialists at the integrator side. 
Well, I, I think that's where the resource is. I, the, you know, when, when I would imagine your customers, when they sit down and talk, uh, you know, how well you do, it's not the person that's necessarily hanging a plasma on the wall. It's probably the engineer that sat down and designed this flunk, you know, the workflow and things of that nature. So keeping it inside and keeping the, 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 the secret sauce inside is where it's going to be. Well, I think secret sauce is something that's kind of held us back, kind of go back to our Gizmodo article on the on the Apple TV. Once we can agree on how we should communicate from a standards technology, I think then those specialists can really start solving the problems and evolving the technology. Yeah. So so having a higher layer secret sauce. Yeah, that kind of sounds like the open source, you know, movement in software where you kind of open everything up and it, uh, it the, the, the technology itself grows because of it. Yes. Well, this is really nothing new in, in the broadcast world, right, Ryan? I, I mean, a lot of these broadcast studios are installed not just by an integrator who helps provide some of the labor, but a lot of times the manufacturer is sending a special team to, to put oh, that Oh, sure. Together. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I actually manage a, a post-production facility in Fort Lauderdale. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. We, we used, we used uh, an integrator to do some Crestron stuff at, at, our, at our headquarters. And... Um, we uh, they they brought uh, we we brought some folks in from one of the large d display panel manufacturers, uh, Planar, to put in their systems, and they actually flew their folks in because it was a large video wall, whatever. But yeah, in broadcast, sure, it's the same thing. Um, even in the motion picture industry, uh, there's a motion picture facility I was going to have some involvement with, and and they. Uh, they had uh, like a, a team of like 20, 30 guys that come in and they, they knock up all these racks and get everything all set up. And it, yeah, it's, it's specialized teams of guys. It's, 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 it's pretty commonplace. Uh, Ryan, I, I, the other analogy I, I think that is a safe thing to say is I, I started actually in the broadcast industry, at, you know, selling the call letter stations. And the dynamic change that occurred from, you know, somebody standing behind a camera to something being automated. You know, that's pretty much what's happening. I mean, you're outsourcing what is can be handled by technology in some cases, and it's the producer, the director, the creative talent that's really the, the really the magic, and that's what you need to emphasize on. I think that we're probably all saying the same thing in, in, in a lot of different ways. So, so. Well, well, let I me agree. ask the question, where does the labor come from? If we're saying that we're having trouble finding the labor and Alamo <laughs> and others are doing this, where is the labor coming from? <laughs> I, I plant a couple seeds out back. It hasn't grown anybody. That's my that's, so that was my try at it. Uh, in the AV industry, the the danger of it is is that this may sound really s s silly. It may not be exciting enough for the next millennials to care. I mean, that's part of it. I, you know, this is this industry is a little bit of an aging industry, and until we get some exciting things, I don't know if millennials are going to jump in. Um, uh, that, that's part of the problem. Um, and again, I, I, if I could answer that question, I'd say I, I'd be a richer man. That's all I got to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it is AV month, and a lot of people are talking about AV month being yep. a way of reaching out to the youth, reaching out to those who may have even a passing interest to come into the field that is wider than just putting home stereos in. I mean, it's AV, it's professional staging, it's broadcast, right. it's the whole right. bit. Right. Uh, but I still have a, fi a hard time finding out where we're going to find that labor when it becomes centralized. Uh, it's still a question I have in my heart. Holly, you were about to say something. Well, I, I think at least some of it from, from, from the Herman or the Elmo side, uh, you know, plucking up people from folks who uh, maybe their businesses are closed, whether it was economic influence that closed it or uh, uh, poor business practices. Uh, they've, they've picked up a few. So, um, but, but finding that next generation, I think definitely is going to be a challenge. And I know something that NSCA and Infocom have both been, been talking mm. about, yeah. um, which is why we need to keep these, uh, sexy technologies coming. And again, if you, if using the model that it, that it's setting itself up, you know, as Holly just said, you know, if, if Alma puts 20 installers in the Philadelphia area and we're snagging up 10 of them, whatever it might be, there's a good possibility that two of them will eventually come working for us anyway. You know, because they see what we do, they like what we do, you know, we, we've been able to, you know, so that exchange of, of employees, that growth out of that market is a good potential too, so. Well, right on the heels of Holly mentioning the super exciting technology, here's one that caught my eye a couple of days ago. Again, Gizmodo, thank you, Gizmodo. Uh, how to print a super thin touchscreen display on just about anything. And when they mean anything, they mean anything. So we have seen 
the vanishing of proprietary touchscreens in a great way with their introduction of the iPhone and especially the iPod and tablets in general. Holly, I'll bring this to you. Is this the next dynamic shift, the next paradigm shift of touchscreens are just made? This was like one of the coolest, craziest things I've seen in recent weeks. I had no idea this was going on until I got this story. Um, yeah, I mean, my brain was just just running a million miles an hour going, all the things that we could do with this. Um, just, just how exciting. Uh, and this is where, you know, John, you're talking about, will the millennials be interested enough? Hey, maybe right. they don't want a cool cable, but man, I, this is some cool stuff. Sign me up. Oh, I gotta say, sign me up. I I saw the article, and again, there's, you know, there's been articles about digital signage. You know, the wearable clothes and the sign running across the shirt. This mm. fits that application almost immediately. Um, it, but it's just cool. It's got way too cool of a factor not to be, you know, to get somebody's attention. Well, now, are we worried that what will happen is that we're going to lose yet another profit center, or do, you, as I think you're saying, this is a, a complete revolution and we'll make more money? And to that end, let me ask you this open question, then. I'll start with uh, John, and I'm going to bring it to the rest of you. Will we see a time when, like the 3D printers, local vendors or local installers will print their own stuff? Yes. I, I don't want to make a stretch out much further than that, but the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> because it, it could be, I mean, it could be, you know... It, I'm going to go to a concert, and I'm going to walk in, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to print my favorite star in a different fashion. He's going to light up during the show. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I live near the New Jersey Boardwalk, and you know that what happens down there is insanity. They can sell anything. I can see 20, 20 stores with this application built into it, and changing for the, for the mood of the night or what you're going to do. Uh, this is very cool. Yes, uh, Ryan. In the broadcast world, you guys are getting smaller and smaller. I mean, the, the, the digital cameras didn't come very quickly, but when they finally got out into the world, into the OEA, into the uh, electro new electronic news gathering, the outside news gathering, I'm forgetting the uh, terminology for it. ENG. Um, ENG, thank you. <laughs> wow. I'm trying to see it in my head. I'm like, dang. Um, but this does have some potential for being able to set up real small control uh, services for a live broadcast right where you want to be. Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's all sorts of technology that's coming out right now. There are, you know, well, there's technology that's been around a while, but it's just continually improving, like the, you know, the backpack broadcasting, whatever, and they have little displays, and I'm sure they could utilize this for, for a control surface type technology, um, you know, to, to do the broad, the broad, the actual transmission to the station to get it on the air. Yeah. Yeah, and what I was thinking more about is the ENG now is a suitcase. It's the camera, it's yes. the audio equipment, and sometimes it's one person, if if maybe two, at a certain point. Um, but we have a DIY show on this channel, and they talk a lot about 3D printing and about Arduino and Pi and all those other little sort of computer self-programming stuff that, that you can make wonderful things with. Uh, and this seems to be like the next revolution, that that little suitcase in broadcast could contain even the touchscreen surface for adding in the information and expanding the image on the fly. And it can be printed from a mini printer that you carry with you if it gets damaged or you need to do something even more. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Oh, if you, if you tie this to a 3D printer, you could, you could, you could build your jetpack right then and there as you need it. <laughs> yes, the jetpack, the proverbial jetpack, yes. Uh, well, then, Holly, let me ask you about this, though. We can print it on stuff. This and John mentions the, the 3D printers. Now there are biological 3D printers now, where they're making replacement ears, right? And they, someone made a heart and a liver that they're they I think put into some test animals. Those kind of awkward situations aside, we could actually really revolutionize digital displays. The whole advertising section of this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and, and you know, John said, "Oh gosh, is this gonna?" take away some jobs, or is this going to change uh, how we're installing? Absolutely, but um, gosh, just the brain power required to come up with some of this stuff is, is staggering. Uh, I'm having Star Trek flashbacks, and uh, Marsha Brady with her braces picking up uh, <laughs> picking up radio. I'm thinking, you put this uh, this LED and the touch screens and the, and the digital printers, uh, this will kick the Segway's butt. 
Right. Yeah. Like you added, now you you called for this. You said a biological printer. So I've got a 3D printer that's building a biological model that has electronics. So I shape it like an ear. I have a new ear. You know, and I have the ability to listen. I have the ability to, you know, conditional situations. If it was, you know, we could go on for the next 20 minutes and throw out a bunch of good ideas. Well, yeah, but it does revolutionize almost everything for that. I mean, again, the 3D guys are making such strides, and they're starting to become, and a lot of them come from the AV world. The DIY show that we do is a lot of AV guys who are makers and who, you know, really want to apply this stuff. We also have a show called Pico Perspectives, a Pico Projection show, and Hmm. they are hot to trot for this kind of stuff so that they can be able to print not just a screen but something that's interactive. And then the mind boggles from there. There you go. You get your interactive that doesn't need to be on a cloud. It doesn't need to be uh, anything other than a localized controller, what we've always done, right? Hey, finally they've come back around, um, and and there we go. Uh, It's probably a few years off, but, uh, yes, the whole body modification thing is out there. Have you actually – there's a guy who actually started putting magnets and chips in his fingers, and he's becoming the first cyborg in his words. (laughs) And he's able to control things in his house with the magnets and the chips in his fingers. Wow. Boy, that, that, takes the, uh, that takes the iPhone out of the uh, home automation right. challenge. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Can we Chip. please have it out of the home automation? I mean, I like my iPhone, but that's just right. You know, something I don't know. I don't know. All right, well, let's, uh, as I have a little bit of technical problem, let's get to a story about LTE. All right. This is hackers vowing to kill Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and everything else. Now, if you know what LTE is, it is long-term evolution, it's called, and it is a technical uh, sort of cellular data system. This one's from the register over in our our fine friend, in which these guys are basically claiming that they can take over everything. Now, we 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 discussed earlier about one standard, and... Oh, we lost uh, we lost Ryan somehow. He'll be back. Uh, just as I wanted to ask him something, the the we about one standard, but this one's claiming that it can take over Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Uh, John, those are really well established technologies, right? They are really yes. being used yeah, everywhere. It, it, it's funny when I read when I read the article, my reaction was, "It ain't broke, why fix it?" And this is an area that I guess I I guess. There's somebody else trying to, you know, be a global solution for everything, but there's just machine to machine or the way that we're interfacing in a small range. It's working perfectly fine. I don't know why we're trying to solve that problem. That's That was kind of my take on the article. Well, I mean, there's always room for improvement, I guess. There's always room for um, a new – well, if we, we limit it to one standard, we're never going to advance past that, right? Right. Um, but that being said – would would we would we be interested in going to one standard like that then? That's really the major question. I think Americans have proven that they won't, and yes. the rest of the world has proven they don't want to do what America does. So no, right. <laughs> we all have a better better mousetrap, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and and LTE is here. It's here as WiMAX. They tried to put that into like I think Philadelphia and some of the East Coast cities, and maybe I think in Los Angeles at one point. Uh, they, they attempted to bring in WiMAX, which is a form of the 3G slash 4G uh, system. Um, but my concern here is, what about it's, it's prone to disaster? If we have one sort of cellular network, even though they say they can tag, yep, you broke tag on all this stuff, use it for right. what we do. I, I go back to what Holly said. I think that there's there's a need for... If, if it were to allow itself to be a, at a higher level, in other words, a backup to everything, then I guess it has a value. I think if, it's, if any standard comes in and says we're going to replace everything that exists, I think it's, you, you have always that champion issue. Yeah, the underdog. You know, I'm, you know, I, I want another choice. I want chocolate, not vanilla. You know, but again, it would be adopted after it was fully proven. Go back to that concept. Mm. I think that if they try to spoon feed the technology and hey, try it out, you're going to have too many failures on a regular basis. So what? I've seen too many manufacturers say, "Yes, we're the only ones that really know how to do this." A couple of them are not around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and and let's get real. By the time something's truly vetted and, yes. and all the bugs are worked out, we're onto the next. We're onto the next technology. Uh, yes, it's almost I- impossible. 
Yeah, I, I, I really agree with you, Holly. Now, I had a vision for the 4G and the uh, WiMAX when I first heard about it because what I wanted was I have my mobile device. I take mass transit a lot. I'm watching the hockey game. Mm-hmm. And when I get into the house, WiMAX, in its essence, and LTE is saying that I can go from entering my house with this, the TV and the remote and the system in my house will pick up that I'm watching it, will turn it to that channel, turn it on, and it will be there for me. So I can watch seamlessly end-to-end what I wanted to watch without it disturbing me, and I can go from small screen to large screen without any real issue. I think that's awesome. They said the same thing about cell phones in the early 90s, remember? You were going to bring your cell phone in, and then all of a sudden you were going to transfer to the landline because we were all worried about roaming fees. And I, and I know a couple technologies got there, but really, did, did we ever see it materialize? Well, why didn't we see it materialize? That's the big question. Do we have any thoughts? I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Here I'm know. hoping that you guys are going to save me, and I can have that. I want it. I watch so little TV, but I watch my Rangers, and I, you know... When I'm traveling, I want to be able to go from point to point and not have to worry. Again, I I, I kind of like the way it's going. And this may sound relatively simple. Is this, the, the, the one solution is not going to be the way. I think that like what you just described, you you know, went from 3G to LTE or, or then you go to Bluetooth because you're going to print from your phone. As long as all those networks are talking to each other, it should be transparent. And if, it's, if, if there's a really good solution for a local machine-to-machine, stay with it. We're good to go. You know, um, you know they... they they, the technology needs to be created to solve a problem. That's where it wins. Well, and, and I think we go back to, to a central point in, in our discussion. Um, there would have to be some standardization between the different formats and, what, and, and how they're talking to one another uh, to really get that seamless integration. And uh, for better or for worse, I just don't see that happening, um, not, with, not with the rapid pace of technology advancement. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Speaking of, as John did, about a purpose-built technology, here's one that's being used that's using a purpose-built technology for something completely different. Again, our friends at the BBC bend over the pond, heating buildings using computers. And this gentleman here has installed big server systems and was wondering what he could do with all of the excess heat. He's developed, if you can see from the, the page, if I can get over to it, there we go, uh, radiator systems using the computer server systems to heat the home or heat the office. This is sort of a green thought. And with the rise of Realcom and uh, Infocom doing an environmental building or you know total environment show within and without outside of Infocom's regular trade shows, this is the stuff that people are starting to look for to control not just their cost of heating and cooling, but reusing the building's own operating systems to bring those prices down. Holly, I'll start with you. Do you think this is something that would be feasible in either the commercial or the residential world? I would say definitely in the commercial world, sure, with with, with building heating now as a Floridian, that's a little, uh, it's it's not going to have as high a premium here, uh, <laughs> but uh, I can certainly see where, where in the commercial building space that this, this would be fantastic. As long as it's cost-effective and, you know, reusing what we're already making is it's great. That's outside of grounding and bonding. I know that's the number one concern in data centers is uh, how you handle that heat. Yeah, I, I would agree on the commercial side. I'm not quite sure on the residential side other than it being a cute novelty and something to talk about, you know, to the party guests that you brought to your house that you have it. I'm not sure that I, I have enough servers to heat my house. Uh, but on a commercial side... Uh, on a commercial side, you know, and besides, we started this conversation out. Everything's going to be in the cloud anyway, right? So wherever that is, we got to keep. But going back to on the commercial side, we are starting to see conversations a little bit more active in regards to this the, this area. Uh, the green concept has been talked about for probably five years, but I, we're starting to see a shift in conversations occur. This is a perfectly good idea. Um, well, I'm. But, you know, and again, it's the environmental thing. So this is the, I hate to use the phrase, thinking outside the box about how we do what we do. Now, we have, if you're doing a professional home automation or media server system, those things give off heat as well. Yep. Is that not feasible to then say, you know, I don't know if LEED will allow this usage, but is that not a feasible idea to say, why can we not use what we're producing, our waste, to our benefit? 
and help green AV. I mean, this is a big debate that was on the AV Shop Talk podcast a couple of days ago about not just everything from the components, you know, trying to find those to be green. Because if, as uh, uh, one of the guests, Anthony Zadi, pointed out, if you if you knew half the stuff that's in there and how toxic some of it is, it's a little right. frightening. It's very daunting to think of how many CRT TVs are sitting in a way, in a dump somewhere. Half of them are in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they all went. <laughs> Um, I, I don't disagree, George. I, I you know, I, I it, but I, I think that other than the novelty in the consumer, I, I guess home theater is a big deal, and I know that there's there's servers out there, but for the mass, they probably have a TV and a DVD player, and then it's all coming off of a cable box. Um, you know, if 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 there has been an investment in that type of technology, including home automation, I would agree that there should be. You should take advantage of that thought process. And take the stack off and, and bring the heat back into the house. There's no doubt about it. I think that on a, I think that we see it much stronger in again if we do enterprise unified communication, and there's 25 rooms all with that type of, you know, heat being generated. Yeah, to find a way to bring it together and feed it back in and reuse. Yes, it should be. It should absolutely positively be considered. It, you know, you know what this is reminding me of uh, in the early days, the the solar cell. Um, you know, solar power conversations, and I'm sure still goes on today. They look at the efficiency of the solar cell, uh, but moreover, the, the the fly in the ointment, so to speak, is how do we capture that energy so that we can use it later? And that's and and, and again, I I I didn't research beyond the article, uh, but I'd be curious that heat that we're producing, great, but what if we're producing it in July and we're right. in Philadelphia? Who right. cares, right? So how do we how do we capture that? How do we store that? How do we turn it into something that we can use on demand or use for something else or use immediately? You know, the immediate use makes sense. Um, but I, until I move to you know Alaska, eh, I don't see a, a. It would have to be harnessed. Right. You know, I had a sudden thought too, and I'll keep you on this, Holly, for a minute, and I'll ask you, John, to, to comment on it. Yes, with the heat in Florida or in Philadelphia in the middle of August. Could we not use that heat to cause some kind of internal condensation within a compressing unit that turn that heat into cool using that energy to spin something? I don't know. It's just a wild idea. If you think about the buildings in New York that have, um, you know, there's a couple of very fancy buildings in New York that are reusing their own heat to do just that, and they're using the old, um, I forget what they're called, in uh, in some of the uh, deserts in the in the Middle East, they use these Swamp cooling towers. Right. Huh? Or swamp eaters. Yeah, well, they are. Yeah, Florida, been, Florida has, yeah. I mean, it's 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 reusing it to some degree. That's yeah. I, I, I the cost benefit ratio is probably not there though. That's the other issue. Mm. You know, it's again, it's nice to have. It's 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 something to talk about. It's showing a concern for an issue that needs to be addressed. But I bet you the cost ratio in this stuff is really not there, like Holly said. Hmm. Well, it's a dream. We can hope, and uh, all the environmental types, we can keep hoping. Yeah. Um, on to something a little more fun, though, that actually uses up some energy, I suppose, is an article about the Connect from Engadget, one of our friends at Engadget. Connect for Windows can track individual finger movements. Now, this is something we probably didn't know it couldn't do, but <laughs> it now, well, and it, it, because the camera couldn't do it, but now they're using the depth sensor. To be able to find and you and tra trace individual digits, which is a remarkable thing. So my question to everybody about this is, what do we think we could use this for, <laughs> and and what do you think, you know, would be the next step? It's a hundred fifty dollar peripheral, so it could go in right now. Holly, I, the first thing that came to mind when I read this article was how awesome it would would just marry up with our home automation systems. You know, we've talked a lot about um, having to go over to your iPhone or your iPad and pull up an app on your Droid. Um, wow, what if I had this kinetics and I'm just walking in and kind of like on Minority Report and I'm just telling it to turn this on or point at that, kind of like you see in the TV controls. I think they're already using that. that. That was the first thing that came to my mind. And if you look on screen right now, you can see that they're showing it virtual, moving virtual objects in space. Uh, you know, and I, my first thought was maybe for medical stuff, remote surgery, training, and I've been infamous on this show and this network for saying I am not a gesture and refusing that gesture controls will work. I've even gone so far as to say if you implement them, you have to train your homeowner on semaphore, you know, with the flags, yes. <laughs> in order to figure out how to control something without turning off the radio but turning on the TV. Um, but could we practically train 
and utilize this with our clients, John, would this actually be usable for them? My only concern, my, my reaction to it was, unfortunately, it was even shallower and like, what do you use it for? How come? Why do you need it? Um, I, I, I guess my understanding, so I thought about it for about 15 minutes and said, okay, in, in, in the spirit of what we've been talking about, if I had a connect outside my front door, I walked up and I waved hello to my house and it recognized me and then it started to do its little task inside of the home automation, wow, thank God it only cost $150. That's, I guess, I, it's another GUI interface. It's another interface to technology. Um, I'm okay with pressing a button. So <laughs> I hope they build it for the next generation. I think the next generation would probably look at it and say, yeah, that's cool. That's a good way to do it and, and get used to it. And and if it's done, you know, we don't have to train the next generation. They just do it. Well, that actually lies a bigger question, doesn't it? We say that the millennials and the next generation don't need to be trained. They just do it. But they don't always understand why they're doing it or what to they do don't when want it doesn't to. work. Well, they don't want yeah. to. They don't need to. They. That's when we go back to the earlier conversation. Holly and I are like, oh, my God, if this thing crails, i got to go find a box to kick. <laughs> they just move on. Their attention spans 140 characters. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but if they're on, if they're on Instagram, it's more visual. I mean, I don't well, know. Okay, there you go. Okay. Really, so it's a picture of 140 characters. Is that for, is that Fahrenheit 451? <laughs> I don't know. But. I think there's something to be said for creating intuitive technology. Come on, yes. Apple did it. I mean, yes. when I when I can hand my 70 uh, year old mom a, 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 a iPhone and you know after a couple of silly questions she's using it and off off to the races. And I've seen this time and time again with you know infants and, and it's an intuitive technology. So so um, you know do we really want them asking that why or, or do we want them creating new programming and, and getting really creative with what this can do and, and just like we've kicked around how, how could we use this technology um, I, I think I think we've got a lot, a lot of fun stuff to come and, and uh, George uh, hand gestures do work if you've ever trained a dog but my mother disagrees she would rather have him jumping all over the place so uh, <laughs> Uh, I can teach a dog hand gestures, but not everyone in my family. Right, so, and I'm well aware of hand gestures. I live in I live in Manhattan for a number of years. Hand gestures <laughs> just are awesome. They, they communicate quite a yes, bit. Yes. <laughs> All right, and and to to keep that jovial sense, well, we're going to go to one last story today, and this is a one harkens back to 1878. Yeah, you know, this is not a sci-fi movie, but the panic and despair in the New York Times of all things over the moral panics. Uh, New York Times warns people about the evils of Thomas Edison's aerophone. And this is from our friends at Tech Dirt. They come up with the strangest and oddest stuff. John, this goes back to what we were talking about. You said some of the older folks, some of the gray hairs like us, yep. Yep. Uh, who may or may not desperately fear the new technology. So we talked about you know Google, my privacy. But people are afraid of Google. They're afraid of the GoPro cams. Are we just repeating it, and how do we stop it? Uh, I, you know, again, I, my, as I'd mentioned to you earlier, I wanted my only my blog was centered around this: is that, you know, change is a horrifying thing, especially when it comes to technology. Um, you know, I, I get I'm as you as you well know, I'm I'm all over social media, and I've got a, a staff of a hundred people, and of a hundred people, there are about four of us who use Twitter, and I sit there and I try to explain. You know what that is, and how to do it, and what and why, and, and what's the benefit of it. You could read these words right out of their mouth, and just replace everything where it says aerophone with Twitter. Um, the, you know, any of the technology. We had a we had a full blown sales meeting yesterday that was around the cloud. You know, what of our clients are asking us. And, you know, what we're doing today is changing. And the only thing I can guarantee you in the, all the years I've been in business is it's just changing faster. Um, so the ability to, you can't stop it. That's the, the fun part of this all is that you got to catch onto the technology, the wave of which you're going to ride to the beach. That's my opinion on this. Holly, is it is it is it really just a factor of educating the consumer and the public about what the technology really is, as opposed yeah. to the innate fears. Yes, I, definitely education. I'm a huge 
huge proponent of education. Um, but to John's point, technology has changed so quickly. You, you don't feel like you can get caught up with it, and it's already lapped you once. You don't you don't know uh, what you don't know. So I, I think one of the things that's come out in the AV world, uh, these these collaboration, the whole theme around collaboration and collaborative workspaces, um, I, I think is really going to be key in educating on, on new technologies uh, because it. it I don't want to say impossible, but I believe it's virtually impossible to know everything. And uh, education can alleviate a lot of fears um, yeah. and, and a lot of familiarity, for sure. Yeah. I think that the, the, the technology does have to be, again, I, I guess simplified, it is friendlier. You know, the ability to intuitively walk up and know what the thing's going to do is really helpful. You know, going into a space, and you know what that space is for. Again, if it's a collaborative space, that's one of those things. You, you know, there's a box that's going to allow collaboration. You know, we had a conversation just yesterday about that exact model. We, you know, we represent a fair amount of manufacturers, and we have five different collaboration boxes. And and the term was, oh, collaborative space and talk, and and, and we brought all those demo pieces to all of our customers and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they decide, nah, we're okay. We're good talking to each other. We're good at sharing it this way. And it doesn't need to be additional box. So some of the technology, you know, you're solving a problem that doesn't exist. Perceived to exist, but it really doesn't exist. So hmm. that's, you know, that there's a lot changing. And, and it's changing for people that have been doing it the same way for a long time, and we all have to adapt. So other than reading that and actually finding the real humor in it, because it is, it's humorous. You know, the best is, you know, the official use of hemp. That was the best line of them all, you know. Yeah, I caught that. And if those who have read it, I suggest that Edison has invented too many things. They're too irksome and troublesome and too uh, confusing for the modern world. And that the proper use of hemp with Mr. Edison would be the best bet. You can. I will be using that. You can, Keep you an can eye use, on a yes. Twitter bill for that. You can use that as you wish. It's pretty serious. Well, guys, we've run out of time, uh, and I want to thank you guys for a really fun conversation, uh, despite some early technical issues. But thank you very much joining us today. And unfortunately, having to leave us was Ryan Salazar. He is founder, editor in chief, and post-production broadcast engineer, and with BroadcastBeats.com. Check him out. Some great stuff there. Also, Chuggies is our good friend John Green from Advanced AV. John, thank you so much, and tell folks where they can read and hear more from you. Again, www.advancedav.com is our is our website, and I can be found at uh, J Green Six. That's John G R E E N E Six on Twitter. Cool, and of course, Holly. Thank you so much, Holly. Uh, you are with AccuTech, and you are a, an AV AV and broadcast solutions expert or salesperson, right? I said that wrong at the beginning. I apologize. I read it right off your lower thirds and cheated. <laughs> well, thank you for cheating, having me. Yeah, great conversation. Thank you so much. All right. Well, this has been AV Week on AV Nation. Please join us here every week for AV Week. You can also find on our website, avnation.tv, this and a host of other AV Nation-type shows from Pico Projection to live events and a whole host more. Thank you for watching, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Oh, 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 oh